0: Hello, darkness, smiled friend. Yes, indeed. I was a little pitchy there, that's all right. <laughs> Thanks, Hogwarts Hippie, I appreciate it. Um, uh, yes, the the Twitch Prime, uh, excuse me, the, the Amazon Prime sub is only for one month, but you can resubscribe after a month. Um, it just doesn't stay static. Um, so uh, I think, you know what? I think, uh, let's see, who. Ashmore i think you're pretty much right luke expands on ashmore's hello darkness my old friend recap to say snape is a bad guy now golden trio is going to go crazy hunting horcruxes Ginny, uh henny slash gary broke up ish um yeah i would say that is quite a bit of it um so of course um a few chapters ago and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look away from chat for a second because this chat is what gets me on these tangents. So I have to look away. I've I realized this, especially during our Dungeon World streams. I have to just look away or totally close my eyes so I'm not distracted and get on a bunch of tangents. Last time on Harry Potter Out Loud with Sidecar Stories. Um, Dumbledore is dead. They hold his funeral and Harry has to decide what he's going to do next. Now, we get this sense that he knows somewhere deep inside him exactly what he's going to do, Mm -hmm. but there are times when even to him it doesn't feel like Dumbledore really is dead. Is it true? Is it really true? And it hits him all of a sudden at at one point. Uh, I believe it's during the the service held for Dumbledore himself. During the service, um, there are... Witches, is Wizards' uh, various uh, magic users, uh, mages, I guess, um, from all over um, who come to pay their last respects to Albus Dumbledore. Um, Dumbledore is going to be buried, um, or entombed, rather, on the Hogwarts grounds, as was his, as was his wish. And uh, although it's a bit of a question at first whether that will take place, the, the staff pretty much agree... This is what Dumbledore wanted, and Dumbledore gave as much to this school, perhaps, as even the Founders. Um, He deserves to be buried here. And as such, he is. Harry determines that he is going to hunt Voldemort. That's going to involve hunting down these Horcruxes that he was discussing with Dumbledore in his final days. And more so, if Snape shows up anywhere along the way, well, all the better for Harry. All the worse for Snape. Harry intends for his friends to understand this. He decides that he's no longer going to be with Ginny, and she seems to get it. She says it's for some stupid noble reason, isn't it? And Harry essentially says, yeah, basically. He wants Ron and Hermione to understand the same, but they decide, no, they're going with him. And he acquiesces. I would say that's a majority of it. We, we did. Um, yeah. What did I, what did I say, Courtney? Dumbledore was indeed murdered. I don't remember what I said, but yes, that is the proper way to, to say it. Um, Ashmore says, Harry, I have got to do this on my own Ron and Hermione. Oh, whoops. <laughs> Punctuation. I got got I've got to do this on my own Ron and Hermione. Good one. Uh, yes, indeed, and uh, yeah. To rewind a little bit, because that was sort of the major events of the the final chapter. But uh, to rewind a little bit before that, Snape is indeed the Half Blood Prince of the title of our of our most recent book. Um, the uh, uh, the <laughs> uh, the times when we were unsure who it was, or Hermione was making guesses. All along, it was Snape. We get a couple of reasons why Snape might not have mentioned this, but we'll let you watch the video for that one. Um, uh, in addition, there are uh, some casualties. Uh, Bill got roughed up pretty good by, um, <laughs> by. Oh crap! Hey, Mr. Halfbit, thank you very, very much, Mr. Halfbit. I appreciate that a ton. Good lord! You told me that the new gig, the new schedule, was treating you pretty good, but dang, thanks, man. I appreciate that an awful lot. A ton, thank you. Um <laughs> the yeah, half bit the hero. Halfbit the hero indeed. Bundog says I had it pegged for Voldemort the whole time. Uh yeah, mister Halfbit, making a strong, strong showing. Uh welcome, Bud. Good to have you here. <laughs> oh man, I look forward to hanging out with you again soon. Uh um now I'm distracting. I gotta remember where I was, but I appreciate it an awful lot. And uh, yeah, Tuna, I think that's a good way to say it. Pay it forward, folks, in Twitch or just in life. And uh, right now, I think life is the one that needs it a lot. So uh, yeah, however it is you wish to wish to make it happen, do it up. Mr. Halfbit. <laughs> Cheers indeed, bud. Um, let's talk about uh, a few more things and then we we are going to get into our chapter, right? Because that's why y'all are here. That's why y'all are here, uh, unless it is to to pick up the <laughs> the, the great like uh, the great Christmas cookies and and gifts that Mr. Halfbit is just chucking out of a sack, going whoo, ho, ho. Um, you know how Santa gives out Christmas cookies. I don't know what I'm talking about tonight. I gotta get right in the head. Okay, so as a final note, um, essentially a lot of relationships have changed substantially. Beep 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 in the background. Um. Uh, Fleur insists that it doesn't matter what Bill looks like, she's going to marry him, and uh, it seems like the Weasley family, especially Mrs. Weasley and Ginny, are feeling much more accepting. (laughs) Ashmore, hey! Thank you very much! Oh, gifted it to someone specifically. Oh, there was a a recipient in mind for that one. Well, I appreciate it. I appreciate it an awful lot. Um, uh, Finally, Lupin and Tonks, they are Uh, They are trying to work something out. We don't realize what it is at first, but we know that Tonks has been just sort of not right She has been uh, melancholy and morose and we find out that she has been wanting to have some sort of uh, more significant relationship with Lupin and Lupin has just been feeling like these are dangerous times I'm a dangerous person. We shouldn't We shouldn't (laughs) We we shouldn't at the end of the day Um, and uh, that is the end of it I think that's most of what we covered in the final two chapters at the at the headlines though Harry is off to hunt horcruxes but he has not told anyone except for Ron and Hermione yet but folks thank you very very much um, oh it chooses it at random Ashmore well there we go um, Yeah, I'm learning a lot about Twitch, uh, including one little thing here. And this will be the last thing, I promise, before we get into it. Um, I want to show you guys this thing. Let's see, where is it going to be at? Down here. Okay, so this is something that uh, Tuna suggested. Tuna is wondering, um, how would y'all feel about a Fall Guys stream? Now, Fall Guys has been huge among a ton of people. um, And I figured, you know what? What better way for us to sort of vote on it than to do it here. Um, uh, This is gonna be done with bits. This is the first time I've ever done something like this, but I figured it would be a good way for y'all to vote on it. And then if y'all aren't interested, I am totally fine with that. It just means I don't have to go and buy a new game. Uh, So if you're interested in it, uh, that is how we're gonna do it. Um, I think it's gonna be, it's 2000 bits. Um, uh, And then at that point, I will be doing some Fall Guys streaming. So if you're interested, go ahead and put it down there. If you're not, that's totally fine this is just how we're we're doing the vote. Tuna Tuna had some great ideas here and I appreciate him a lot because he actually, I think Tuna, you understand the streaming better than I do. Um, I can do the reading and I'm actually fairly good in the broadcast software side, but as far as like, what is it like to be a streamer? I think Tuna's got a better idea than I do. So that's why he's my manager. (laughs) All right, okay. Luke says they were holding hands at the funeral. Uh, yes, indeed. It seems like it's it's maybe not certain, but uh, Lupin and Tonks were indeed holding hands at the funeral. Um, Jess says, I really think you should start reading. You just talk about the Horcruxes. Oh, before I start reading, I should talk about Horcruxes. Um, I can give like a quick little note on them, uh, essentially they are the, the splits of Voldemort's soul, now we don't know what exactly all of them are, we've got an idea that they are sort of significant magical items, but, um, yes, streamers, are the things that come from the ceiling gems, that is some, that is some Henny level banter right there, getting razzed already, um, but Horcruxes are the, the, the divisions of Voldemort's soul. Uh, it requires uh, some great evil, mostly murder, it seems like, um, in order to create one, and as such, uh, to, to have many of them is basically unheard of, uh, but it sounds like that is what Voldemort has got. He has got these horcruxes that are out in the world, and Harry is going to have to hunt them down and find some way to destroy them, and with that, we are officially getting started for the day, and let's go. As always, folks, if you've got anything you'd like to discuss, go ahead and put it in chat. Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. Chapter One. The Dark Lord Ascending. The two men appeared out of nowhere, a few yards apart in the narrow, moonlit lane. For a second, they stood quite still, wands directed at each other's chests. Then, recognizing each other, they stowed their wands beneath their cloaks and walked briskly in the same direction.
1: "News?"
0: asked the taller of the two. The best, replied Severus Snape. The lane was bordered on the left by wild, low-growing brambles, on the right by a high, neatly manicured hedge. The men's long cloaks flapped around their ankles as they marched.
2: "'Thought I might be late,'
0: said Yaxley, his blunt features sliding in and out of sight as the branches of overhanging trees broke the moonlight.
1: "'It was a little trickier than I expected, but I hope we will be satisfied.' You should be confident that your reception will be good.
0: Snape nodded, but did not elaborate. They turned right into a wide driveway that led off the lane. The high hedge curved into them, running off into the distance beyond the pair of impressive wrought iron gates barring the men's way. Neither of them broke step. In silence, both raised their arms in a kind of salute and passed straight through as though the dark metal were smoke. The yew hedges muffled the sound of the men's footsteps. There was a rust—excuse oh, me—a rustle somewhere to their right. Yaxley drew his wand again and pointed it over his companion's head, but the source of the noise proved to be nothing more than a pure white peacock, strutting majestically along the top of the hedge.
1: He always did himself well, Lucius. Peacocks. Yaxley
0: thrust his wand back under his cloak with a snort. A handsome manor house grew out of the darkness at the end of the straight drive, lights glinting in the diamond paned windows downstairs. Somewhere in the dark garden beyond the hedge a fountain was playing. Gravel crackled beneath their feet as Snape and Yaxley sped toward the front door, which swung open at their approach, though nobody had visibly opened it. The hallway was large dimly lit and sumptuously decorated with a magnificent carpet covering most of the stone floor. The eyes of the pale-faced portraits on the walls followed Snape and Yaxley as they strode past. The two men halted at a heavy wooden door leading to the next room, hesitated for the space of a heartbeat, then Snape turned the bronze handle. The drawing-room was full of silent people, sitting at a long and ornate table, The room's unusual furniture had been pushed carelessly up against the walls. Illumination came from a roaring fire beneath a handsome marble mantelpiece surrounded by a gilded armor. Excuse me, surrounded by a gilded mirror. Snape and Yaxley lingered for a moment on the threshold. As their eyes grew accustomed to the lack of light, they were drawn upward to the strangest figure of the scene an apparently unconscious human figure hanging upside down over the table, revolving slowly, as if suspended by an invisible rope, and reflected in the mirror and in the bare, polished surface of the table below it. He seemed unable to prevent himself from glancing upward every minute or two.
1: Snape Yaxley,
0: said a high, clear voice from the head of the table,
1: you are very nearly late.
0: The speaker was seated directly in front of the the fireplace so that it was difficult at first for the new arrivals to make out more than his silhouette. As they drew nearer, however, the face shone through the gloom, hairless, snake-like, with slits for nostrils and gleaming red eyes whose pupils were vertical. He was so pale that he seemed to emit a pearly glow.
1: Severus, here
0: said Voldemort, indicating the seat on his immediate right.
1: Yaxley, beside Dolohov.
0: The two men took their allotted places. Most of the eyes around the table followed Snape, and it was to him that Voldemort spoke first.
1: So?
2: My lord, the Order of the Phoenix intends to move Harry Potter from his current place of safety on Saturday night. At nightfall the interest around the table sharpened palpably some stiffened
0: others fidgeted all gazed at Snape and Voldemort
1: Saturday at nightfall
0: repeated Voldemort his red eyes fastened upon Snape's black ones with an intensity that some of the others looked away "'apparently fearful that they themselves would be scorched by the ferocity of the gaze. "'Snape, however, looked calmly back into Voldemort's face, "'and after a moment or two, Voldemort's lipless mouth curved into something like a smile.
1: "'Very good, very good, and this information comes
2: from the source that we discussed,' said Snape. "'My lord!'
0: Yaxley had leaned forward to look down the long table at Voldemort and Snape. All faces turned to him.
1: My lord, I've heard differently.
0: Yaxley waited, but Voldemort did not speak, so he went on.
1: Dawlish the aura! Let's slip the potter will not be moved until the thirtieth, the night before the boy turns seventeen.
2: Snape was smiling. My source told me that there are plans to lay a false trail. This must be it. No doubt a confounder's charm has been placed upon Dawlish. It would not be his first time. He is known to be susceptible. I assure you, my lord, Dawlish seemed quite certain, said Yaxley. If he has been confounded, naturally he is certain, said Snape. I assure you, Yaxley, that the Order Office will play no further part in the protection of Harry Potter. The Order believes that we have infiltrated the Ministry.
0: Well, the Order's got that one right, then, eh?
2: (laughs) Said a squat man sitting a short distance from
0: Yaxley. He gave a wheezy giggle that was echoed here and there along the table. (laughs) Voldemort did not laugh. His gaze had wandered upward to the body slowly revolving overhead, and he seemed to be lost in thought.
2: My
1: lord, Yaxley went on, dolish believes an entire party of aurors will be used to transfer the boy.
0: Voldemort held up a large white hand, and Yaxley subsided at once, watching resentfully as Voldemort turned back to Snape.
1: "'Where are they going to hide the boy next?'
2: "'At the home of one of the Order,' said Snape. "'The place, according to the source, has been even every protection that the Order and the Ministry together could provide. I think there is little chance of taking him once he is there, my lord, unless, of course, the Ministry has fallen before next Saturday, which might give us the opportunity to discover and undo enough of the enchantments to break through the rest.'
1: well yaxley
2: voldemort called
0: down the table the firelight glinting strangely in his red eyes
1: will the ministry have fallen by next saturday
0: once again all heads turned yaxley squared his shoulders
2: my lord i've got good news on that score i have with difficulty and after great effort, succeeded in placing an imperious curse upon pious thickness.
0: Many of those sitting around Yaxley looked impressed. His neighbour, Dolahov, a man with a long, twisted face, clapped him on the back.
1: It is a start, said Voldemort, but thickness is only one man. Scrimgeour must be surrounded by our people before I act. One failed attempt on the minister's life will set me back a long way. Yes, my lord, that's true. But you know, as the head of the Department of Magical Law Enforcement, this is a regular contact, not only with the minister himself, but also with the heads of all the other ministry departments. I will, I think, be easy now. "'to have such a high-ranking official under our control "'to subjugate the others, then they can all work together to bring Scrimgell down.' "'As long as our friend Thickness is not discovered "'before he has converted the rest,' said Voldemort. "'At any rate, it remains unlikely "'that the Ministry will be mine before next Saturday.' "'If we cannot touch the boy at his destination, then it must be done while he travels.' "'We are at an advantage there, my lord,'
0: said Yaxley, who seemed determined to receive some portion of approval.
1: "'We now have several people planted within the Department of Magical Transport. "'If Potter operates or uses the Flue Network, we shall know immediately.'
2: "'He will do neither?' said Snape. The Order is issuing any form of transport that is controlled or regulated by the Ministry. They mistrust everything to do with the place.
1: All the better, said Voldemort. He will have to move in the open. Easier to take by far. Again,
0: Voldemort looked up at the slowly revolving body as he went on.
1: I shall attend to the boy in person. There have been too many mistakes where Harry Potter is concerned. Some of them have been my own. That Harry Potter lives is due more to my errors than to his triumphs.
0: The company around the table watched Voldemort apprehensively, each of them by his or her expression, afraid that they might be blamed for Harry Potter's continued existence. Voldemort, however, seemed to be speaking more to himself than to any of them, still addressing the unconscious body above him.
1: I have been careless, and so have been thwarted by luck and chance, those wreckers of all but the best laid plans. But I know better now. I understand those things I did not understand before. I must be the one to kill Harry Potter, and I shall be.
0: At these words, seemingly in response to them, a sudden wail sounded, a terrible, drawn-out cry of misery and pain. Some of those at the table looked downward, startled, for the sound had seemed to issue from below their feet.
1: "'Wormtail,'
0: said Voldemort, with no change in his quiet, thoughtful tone, and without removing his eyes from the revolving body above.
1: "'Have I not spoken to you about keeping our prisoner quiet?' "'Yes, my lord,'
0: gasped a small man halfway down the table, who had been sitting so low in his chair it had appeared at first glance to be unoccupied. Now he scrambled from his seat and scurried from the room, leaving nothing behind him but a curious gleam of silver.
1: "'As I was saying,'
0: continued Voldemort, looking again at the tense faces of his followers,
1: "'I understand better now. I shall need, for instance, to borrow a wand from one of you before I go to kill Harry Potter.'
0: The faces around his displayed nothing but shock. He might have announced that he wanted to borrow one of their arms.
1: "'No volunteers?' said Voldemort. "'Let's see, Lucius. I see no reason for you to have a wand any more.'
0: Lucius Malfoy looked up. His skin appeared yellowish and waxy in the firelight, and his eyes were sunken and shadowed. When he spoke, his voice was hoarse.
2: "'My lord...
1: your wand, Lucius... I require your wand...
2: I...'
0: Malfoy glanced sidelong at his wife. She was staring straight ahead, quite as pale as he was, her long blonde hair hanging down around her neck, but, but beneath the table her slim fingers closed briefly on his wrist, at her touch, Malfoy put his hand into his robes, withdrew a wand, and passed it along to Voldemort, who held it up in front of his red eyes, examining it closely.
1: "'What is it?'
0: "'Elm, my lord,' whispered Malfoy.
1: "'And the core?' "'Dragon.
2: "'Dragon heartstring. "'Good.' Said
0: Voldemort. He drew out his own wand and compared the lengths. Lucius Malfoy gave an involuntary movement. For a fraction of a second, he seemed he expected to receive Voldemort's wand in exchange for his own. The gesture was not missed by Voldemort, whose eyes widened maliciously.
1: Give you my wand, Lucius! My wand!
0: Some of the throng sniggered
1: i have given you your liberty lucius is that not enough for you but i have noticed that you and your family seem less happy of late what is it about my presence in your home that displeases you lucius
0: nothing Uh, nothing my lord
1: such lies lucius
0: The soft voice seemed to hiss on even after the cruel mouth had stopped moving. One or two of the wizards barely suppressed a shudder as the hissing grew louder. Something heavy could be heard sliding across the floor beneath the table. The huge snake emerged to climb slowly up Voldemort's chair. It rose seemingly endlessly and came to a rest between... Voldemort's shoulders, its neck the thickness of a man's thigh, its eyes with their vertical slits for pupils unblinking. Voldemort stroked the creature absently with long, thin fingers, still looking at Lucius Malfoy.
1: Why do the Malfoys look so unhappy with their lot? Is it my return, my rise to power? Is it not the very thing they professed to desire for so many years? "'Of
2: course, my lord,'
0: said Lucius Malfoy. His hand shook as he wiped sweat from his upper lip.
2: "'We did desire it. We do!'
0: De Malfoy's left, his wife made an odd, stiff nod, her eyes averted from Voldemort and the snake. "'To his right,' His son Draco, who had been gazing up at the inert body overhead, glanced quickly at Voldemort and away again, terrified to make eye contact.
1: "'My lord!'
0: said a dark woman, halfway down the table, her voice constricted with emotion.
1: "'It is an honour to have you here in our family house. There can be no higher pleasure!'
0: She sat beside her sister as unlike her in looks, with her dark hair and heavily lidded eyes, as she was in bearing and demeanour. Where Narcissa sat rigid and impassive, Bellatrix leaned toward Voldemort, for mere words could not demonstrate her longing for closeness.
1: "'No higher pleasure,'
0: repeated Voldemort, his head tilted a little to one side as he considered Bellatrix.
1: That means a great deal, Bellatrix, coming from you.
0: Her face flooded with color, her eyes welled with tears of delight.
1: My lord knows I speak nothing but the truth. No higher pleasure even compared with that happy event I hear that has taken place in your family this week.
0: She stared at him, her lips parted, evidently confused.
1: "'I don't know what you mean, my lord! I am talking about your niece, Bellatrix, and yours as well, Lucius and Narcissa. She has just married the werewolf, Remus Lupin, you must be so proud.'
0: There was an eruption of laughter and jeering around the table. Many leaned forward to exchange gleeful looks. A few thumped the table with their fists. The great snake, disliking the disturbance, opened its mouth and hissed angrily, but the Death Eaters did not hear it. So jubilant were they that Bellatrix and Malfoy's family were receiving such humiliation. Bellatrix's face, so recently flushed with happiness, had turned an ugly, blotchy red.
1: She is no niece of ours, my lord!
0: She cried over the
1: outpouring of mirth. We, Narcissi and I, have never set our eyes on our sister since she married the man This brat has nothing to do with either of us, nor any beast she marries. "'What say you, Draco?'
0: asked Voldemort, and though his voice was quiet, it clearly carried through the catcalls and jeers.
1: "'Will you babysit the cubs?'
0: The hilarity mounted, Draco Malfoy looked in terror at his father, who was staring down into his own lap, then caught his mother's eye. She shook her head, almost imperceptibly, then resumed her own deadpan stare at the opposite wall.
1: "'Enough!'
0: said Voldemort, stroking the angry snake.
1: "'Enough!'
0: and the laughter died at once.
1: Many of our oldest family trees become a little diseased over time,"
0: he said, as Bellatrix gazed at him, breathless and imploring.
1: "'You must prune yours, must you not, to keep it healthy? Cut away those parts that threaten the health of the rest.' (sighs) "'Yes, my lord!'
0: whispered Bellatrix, and her eyes swam with tears of gratitude again.
1: "'At the first chance?' you shall have it said voldemort and in your family so in the world shall we cut away the canker that infects us until only those of true blood remain
0: voldemort raised lucius malfoy's wand pointed it directly at the slowly revolving figure suspended over the table and gave it a tiny flick the creature came to to life with a groan and began to struggle against invisible bonds
1: "'Do you recognize our guest, Severus?'
0: asked Voldemort. Snape raised his eyes to the upside-down face. All of the Death Eaters were looking up at the captive now, as though they had been given permission to show curiosity. As she revolved to face the firelight, the woman said in a cracked and terrified
2: voice,
1: "'Severus, help me!'
2: Oh, uh, yes, said Snape, as the
0: prisoner turned slowly once again,
1: and you, Draco,
0: asked Voldemort, stroking the snake's snout with his wand- free hand. Draco shook his head jerkily, now that the woman had woken, he seemed unable to look at her any more,
1: but you would not have taken her classes, said Voldemort. For those of you who do not know, we are joined here tonight by Charity Burbage, who until recently taught at Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry.
0: There were small noises of comprehension around the table. A broad, hunched woman with pointed teeth cackled.
1: Yes, Professor Burbage taught the children of witches and wizards, All about muggles, how they are not so different from us.
0: One of the Death Eaters spat on the floor. Charity Burbage revolved to face Snape again.
1: Severus, Severus, please, please,
0: silence, said Voldemort, with another twitch of Malfoy's wand, the, uh, with another twitch of Malfoy's wand, Charity fell silent, as if gagged.
1: Not content with corrupting and polluting the minds of wizarding children, last week Professor Burbage wrote an impassioned defense of mudbloods and the Daily Prophet. Wizards, she says, must accept those thieves of their knowledge and magic. The dwindling of the purebloods is, she says, a most desirable circumstance. She would have us all mate with muggles, or, no doubt, werewolves."
0: Nobody laughed this time. There was no mistaking the anger and contempt in Voldemort's voice. For the third time, Charity Burbage revolved to face Snape. Tears were pouring from her eyes into her hair, Snape looked back at her, quite impassive, as she turned slowly away from him again.
1: Avada, Kedavra!
0: The flash of green light illuminated every corner of the room. Charity fell, with a resounding crash onto the table below, which trembled and creaked. Several of the Death Eaters leapt back in their chairs. Draco Malfoy fell out of his onto the floor
1: dinner, Nagini,
0: said Voldemort softly, and the great snake swayed and slithered from his shoulders onto the polished wood. That is the end of chapter one. deep and dark among the dark wizards of the death eaters <laughs> that's right gang yeah kind of a kind of a shock to the system says jubilee that last piece of art compared to the other ones um, that is kind of what I was going for um, in in adding that one at the very end but uh, the uh, Samsonite <laughs> no epilogue hey <laughs> what are you referring to here um, but, uh, yeah, the, the, uh, <laughs> this has been indeed uh, quite the chapter and we are doing three today. That's right gang. Um, so I'm going to take a, a quick five minute break. I have determined that even though sometimes I don't feel like it afterwards, I always wish that I had, I'm going to take a quick five minute break here. Uh, and then we're going to go into our next chapter. Uh, Ashbor says this is where you really start to pity Draco. And yes, I think I'm with you. Um, Um, this has been, uh, he's had a really challenging time, obviously. Um, now, he agreed to some of this, uh, which puts him in a very tough position of having made some determinations. Um, before I do go and take my break, I have, um, I have a request for you all. I need some help. Um, let me go to the proper, hmm, let's see, can I, can I get it the first try? It's gonna be this one. Nope, 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 it's not that one. It's gonna be... It's gonna be this one Nope. oh come on where oh is it really chapter three? It's gonna be this one. <laughs> I wasn't even in the right chapter. So folks I would like to introduce you to uh, Hestia Jones and Daedalus Diggle. I need voices for these folks um, so I want to see those suggestions um, I am going to be uh, I'm going to be away from from chat for a little while so I'm not gonna be able to see him for right now. So hold on a second before you start to put them in. But when I come back, I want to see them. All right. So this is, these are the two. Hestia Jones, Daedalus Diggle. So keep an eye on them. Yeah, Luke. Um, by the way, folks, uh, another shout out to uh, a few people who have helped me out a lot here. Um, first, uh, Sodderfish, my stream producer. Thank you very much. Um, Sodderfish y'all can thank for the, the ability to do these streams without having to constantly like take Breaks to ask: Is the stream crashing? Uh, thank you very much. Um, I also want to thank uh, Tuna Sunday, obviously, for moderating, keeping everything clean, uh, ch- keeping the the chat looking good, uh, and just helping me out in general. Uh, moderating and managing uh, Tuna Sunday is often the reason why stuff gets accomplished. <laughs> the stuff that I talk about, uh, oftentimes Tuna Sunday is the one who helps make it sort of a reality. Um, I want to thank uh, Luke Luke Stolzfoos um, for being my art producer for the Harry Potter series. Um, basically it's been like <laughs> since the, since, uh, for about six months, almost since the start of the year, um, Luke has been doing almost all of the, uh, art selection. And so Luke, I appreciate it a lot. So, um, like I said, folks, wait until I come back, uh, to give me your suggestions, but be thinking about it. Hestia Jones, up there, Daedalus Diggle over here, and uh, <laughs> Jarp, I kind of like that one, keep it in mind, um, but uh, yeah, I will be right back, folks, hello everyone, and welcome back, um, just because I think people might be confused by this, uh, a quick reminder, down in the corner there is the, uh, the bits vote, um, if y'all are interested in a uh, Fall Guys stream, um, <laughs> I figured this is the best way to take the vote down, if you're interested, fantastic, if you're not, totally good, just means uh, we don't need to buy an extra game. I can just keep playing the stuff that I, I uh, am super stoked about, like Warzone. But, um, okay, we've got some suggestions here. Uh, I have seen a, a number of them that are very, very good. Um, and, uh, let's see. <laughs> uh, downloaded for a sidecar says, uh, Diggle Voice Shaggy from Scooby-Doo. Um, like zoinks, right? Indeed. Um, I saw that over here in, uh, in Twitch chat as well. Um, oh boy, David Spade, I'm seeing some good ones. Okay, this is where, this is where it gets dangerous because unfortunately I start to reveal my, um, shall we say, uh, illiteracy in like pop culture voices. Um, although to be fair, I'm, it's a little bit like asking for like a cover of a song and being like, what artist? Anyone. (laughs) Um, Princess Bride, sure, 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 sure uh okay let's see let me let me read a big chunk here um mickey, mickey mouse <laughs> luke says i think goofy could work um Shotzi, yeah so tenacia has suggested mickey mouse <laughs> um uh, says that would work um let's see Uh, yeah, because he was indeed the one that was squeaky and his hat kept falling off and he was like shaking Harry's hand violently. Um, One of the very first wizards that Harry actually meets in the Wizarding World. Uh, Diggle as Willy Wonka, says Ashmore. Hestia as Fran Fine from the Nanny. I don't know if I would be able to pull that one. Uh, Willy Wonka, which Willy Wonka are we talking here? Uh, uh, Barry Bethy says, uh, the wife of Miracle Max from the Princess Diaries? Oh sure sure sure!
1: <laughs> I'm not a witch. I'm your wife.
0: Oh boy! Uh, by the way, good luck to anyone who can pick out the voice that I chose for Yaxley. Um, it's not a great impression, much like many of the ones that I do. Eh, right guys? Um, uh, but the uh, <laughs> Luke says, yeah, please not Johnny Depp. Um, the uh, um, oh shoot, uh, I would I would say. Of anyone who's in here, I would say that mister Halfbit probably has the best chance of picking out who it is. It's an unnamed character, um, so good good luck, folks, figuring out who I picked for Yaxley. But, um, Paul Newman says Jubilee. Let's see, Doc is a good one. Uh, Jeff says, I'd love to hear him do Goofy. Baby Zay says Inspector Gadget. <laughs> Uh, Jess Brown says Stewie or Peter, I'm going to assume this is uh, this is um, uh, Family Guy. Born to Runner Up has a great suggestion, Diggle as Doc from Back to the Future. I think I like that one a lot. I like that one a ton. Okay, we're doing that one. We're doing Doc from Back to the Future. Um, let's see. Uh, so, we need one for her. What do we think? Fran is the only one who can do Fran? Is it uh, What is it, Fran Drescher? Is that, is that right? Is that the name? I, I do like the Wife of Miracle Max.
1: I'm not a witch, I'm your wife!
0: Alright, so... Uh, thank you, Born to Runner Up. Uh, I really like Doc from Back to the Future. That one I think I can pull off. I feel like I can I can do that one some kind of justice. What do we like for her? Max's wife would be fabulous.
2: Can
0: get, please say Gigawatts? GIGAWATTS! MARTY! MARTY, WE'VE GOTTA GO! <laughs> Alright. Uh, George Takei. George Takei would have been a good one. That w- keep that one in mind, Jubilee. George Takei is going to be a good one for somebody. I don't know who yet. Um, maybe, for, uh, maybe for Dirk Cresswell, even though I was going to give that one my very best um, Matthew McConaughey impression. Which, you can ask uh, Mama Cass, it sort of uh, went in and out, I would say. Uh, but <laughs> tuna, thanks for getting us. Uh, let's see, exactly one percent of the way to fall, guys. So uh, yeah, it'll be interesting. By the way, tuna is Java the person that I think it is, or am I have I once again been taken in by the name? Is is Java is Java somebody uh, shall we say associated with you?
1: <laughs>
0: okay, gang. So we've got him um, let's get on to our next chapter for anybody who is just now visiting us I wish I could do Jessica rabbit I don't think I have watched it recently enough to be able to pull it off and then there's someone like like Carrie Fisher who with my pretty mask, like very male voice box I don't know if I could make a Carrie Fisher sound alike that just sounds any different from just Sam doing high-pitched voice um, which is why, you know, you get some sort of, uh, you get like uh, the Hermione's, for instance. Um, the, the Hermione that I do is pretty high-pitched. I did choose it intentionally because um, uh, high-pitched is how she is described a number of times, or shrill um, in a couple of instances. So I, I picked that one uh, based on that. But let's talk a bit of review, shall we? What happened in our last chapter, gang? Rebel Wilson would be a pretty good one. <laughs> I think we've had enough support for uh, Max's wife, Max the, Max the uh, Magic Max's wife from the Princess Bride. We're going to go with that one. Don't worry, folks. These are going to be fairly short, but it'll be enjoyable nonetheless. I don't even think it's this chapter. I think it's going to wait until Chapter 3, but I'm glad we've got it out of the way. Um, so, Chapter 1, The Dark Lord Ascending. Um, Snape and a Death Eater named Yaxley show up at what appears to be the Malfoy Manor. Um, turns out, it seems like the Death Eaters are using this as sort of a base camp. That's pretty out in the open, if you ask me. You know, that's a, that's a fairly, uh, it's a fairly uh, obvious hideout, right? Some, one of your, your least-veiled supporters, Lucius Malfoy, um, housing you. So I think that sort of gives an indication of how things are here in the Wizarding World. Um, the Death Eaters certainly have a foothold at this point. They're getting brave, um, which ain't a good thing for evil folks. You want to keep evil folks scared. Uh, Hogwarts Hippie says, Voldemort asks Lucius for his wand. Did I say asks? Voldemort uh, Hogwarts Hippie says Voldemort asks Lucius for his wand. Oh, gotcha, okay. Sometimes I'm not sure what I just said. Um uh, but yeah, it's a Death Eater meeting, says Slosh Sloth Slosh Creatures. <laughs> Sloth creatures. Um it is a a meeting of Death Eaters, uh, headed by Lord Voldemort himself. He talks about how um he is going to kill Harry Potter, but more specifically, when, because he gets some information from both Snape and Yaxley. Now, it's different information. I'm going to have to close my eyes again, otherwise snap, uh, 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 chat is going to distract me, um, and I'll go off on crazy tangents. Yaxley says that he Harry Potter is going to move on a little way down the line. That's where Yaxley has gotten his information from inside the ministry, but Snape says, no, it's actually going to be sooner than that. It's going to be on Saturday. And where they're moving Harry Potter, we're not likely to be able to get to him, so we should get him in transit. And so Snape says that he, excuse me, Voldemort says that he will. He asks to borrow Lucius Malfoy's wand. um, And uh, yeah, we we see him kill the teacher at Hogwarts of Muggle Studies. She's been taken captive, and here at this meeting, she is quickly killed. We do indeed see that Draco has been has engaged in some pretty odd, uh, well, Ashmore says very strange character development. Draco Malfoy, uh, Lucius Malfoy's son, obviously Harry's nemesis. Um, Shotzi says we find out that Draco is terrified and stuck. Um, I would say, I would say, uh, yeah, I think this is this is um, Malfoy getting. This is Draco Malfoy kind of getting what he signed up for. And we can see, as we look around the room, it's not just Draco, either. Um, Lucius Malfoy and his wife Narcissa, these are Draco's parents, they seem to be um, doing whatever they can not to be noticed. It seems that when you support terror, when you support hatred in this way, well, what do you get? Hateful company. (laughs) Uh, Yes, indeed. So, let us proceed. (laughs) <laughs> and the kid sixty four says he didn't really ask for the wand, uh, and that's a good point. Um, he uh, he makes demands, and it seems that the Death Eaters are meant to follow those without question, even at hesitation or, or uh, you know, seeming to think that uh, uh, Lucius Lu- Lucius seems to think for a moment that he's going to get uh, Voldemort's wand in exchange because they're training wands or something, and. Voldemort is very quick to mock him. <laughs> Tuna, Tuna wants this bad, doesn't he? Tuna, yeah. Uh, the Fall Guys was uh, uh, an idea that Tuna had, but uh, yeah, if you guys are if you guys are interested, uh, bits of the way to make it happen, it'll make it easy for all of us. Um, and uh, yeah, I'll do some I'll do some Fall Guys streaming. But we've got our we've got our review done. Let's move on, shall we? Uh, Jess says, yeah, they don't really talk much about Muggle studies in the books. Indeed, they do not. Yeah, they don't talk about it very much in the books. Um, a couple of moments uh, in which um, uh, Hermione mentions it about how important it could be, etc. But yeah, not a lot of discussion of it. Okay, let's get into our next chapter. And I've got one more thing to do.
2: Oi! Hey!
1: Pete! Peter! I'm looking for Peter! Peter Undy! Yep,
0: yep, Peter Undy. Front and center! I just wanted to uh, give a quick shout-out to the Bay Area Builders, because I've heard that y'all listen to me while I've been uh, yammering on doing my thing. So I want to say thank you very much, and you can thank Peter for bringing it to my attention. I thought it was funny, so I figured I eh, might as well mention it. Um, let us begin, shall we? <laughs> I just got a really, really entertaining uh, comment over on the YouTube uh, uh, feed. And uh, my, my sister actually brought it to my attention, so uh, I figured, you know what, it was worth a shout out, so how's it going, gang? <laughs> Good to see ya. All right, let's begin, for real. Chapter 2, In Memoriam. Harry was bleeding. Clutching his right hand in his left and sweating under his breath, he shouldered open his bedroom door. There was a crunch of breaking china. He had trodden on a cup of cold tea that had been sitting on the floor beside his bedroom door. What the... He looked around. The landing of number 4 Privet Drive was deserted. Possibly the cup of tea was Dudley's idea of a clever booby trap. Keeping his bleeding hand elevated... Harry scraped the fragments of the cup together with the other hand and threw them into the already crammed bin just visible inside his bedroom door. Then he tramped across the bedroom to run his finger under the tap. Excuse me. Then he tramped across to the bathroom to run his finger under the tap. It was pointless, stupid, irritating beyond belief that he still had four days left of being unable to perform magic. But he had to admit to himself that this jagged cut in his finger would have defeated him. He had never learned how to repair wounds. And now that he came to think of it, particularly in the light of his immediate plans, it seemed a serious flaw in his magical education. Making a mental note to ask Hermione how it was done, he used a large wad of toilet paper to mop up as much of the tea as he could, before returning to his bedroom and slamming the door behind him. Harry had spent the morning completely emptying his school trunk for the first time since he had packed it six years ago. At the start of the intervening school years, he had merely skimmed off the topmost three-quarters at the contents and replaced or updated them, leaving a layer of general debris at the bottom. Old quills, desiccated beetle eyes, single socks that no longer fit. Minutes previously, Harry had plunged his hand into this mulch, experiencing a stabbing pain in the fourth finger of his right hand. And withdrawn it to see a lot of blood. He now proceeded a bit more cautiously. Kneeling down beside the trunk again, he groped around in the bottom and, after retrieving an old badge that flickered feebly between Support Cedric Diggory and Potter Stinks, a cracked and worn out sneakoscope, and a gold locket inside with a note that said RAB, he finally discovered the sharp edge that had done the damage. He recognized it at once. It was a two-inch-long fragment of the enchanted mirror that had been given to him by his dead godfather, Sirius. Harry laid it aside and felt cautiously around the trunk for the rest, but nothing more remained of his godfather's last gift except powdered glass, which clung to the deepest layer of debris like glittering grit. And Harry paused for a long moment while Sam got up to shut his door so that you couldn't hear the sound of children outside. Harry continued to sit, just looking at it, just looking at the piece of mirror, just observing it, just taking a quick look, and finally decides to sit up and examine the jagged piece on which he had cut himself, seeing nothing but his own bright green eye reflected back at him. Then he placed the fragment on top of that morning's daily prophet, which lay unread on the bed and attempted to stem the sudden upsurge of bitter memories the stabs of regret and of longing that the discovery of the broken mirror had occasioned by attacking the rest of the rubbish in the trunk. It took another hour to empty it completely, throw away the useless items, and sort the remainder into piles according to whether or not he would need them from now on. His school and Quidditch robes, cauldron, parchment, quills, and most of his textbooks were piled in a corner to be left behind. He wondered what his aunt and uncle would do with them. Burn them in the dead of night, probably, as they were the evidence of some dreadful crime. His muggle clothing, invisibility cloak, potion-making kit, certain books, the photograph album Hagrid had once given him, a stack of letters, and his wand had been repacked into an old rucksack. In a front pocket were the marauder's map and the locket with the note signed R.A.B. inside it. The locket was accorded this place on honor not because it was valuable in all usual senses it was worthless but because of what it had cost to attain it this left a sizable stack of newspapers sitting on his desk beside the snowy owl hedwig one for each day harry had spent at privet drive this summer he got up off the floor stretched and moved across to his desk Hedwig made no movement as he began to flick through the newspapers, throwing them into the rubbish pile one by one. The owl was asleep, or else faking. She was angry with Harry about the limited amount of time she was allowed out of her cage at the moment. As he neared the bottom of the pile of newspapers, Harry slowed down, searching for one particular issue that he knew had arrived shortly after he had returned to Privet Drive for the summer. He remembered that there had been a small mention on the front about the resignation of Charity Burbage, the muggle studies teacher at Hogwarts. At last, he found it. Turning to page 10, he sank down into his desk chair and reread the article he had been looking for. Hey, Shibo, how's it going? Um, And by the way, folks, just a quick reminder. Nobody's at fault here. I want to be very clear about that. But a quick reminder. This book is going to be full of spoilers, so we do have a dedicated channel for that in the Discord. Um uh hp spoiler discussion but other than that keep the spoilers to i almost said a minimum but keep them to a nothing keep them to a nothing you punks albus dumbledore remembered by alphias doge albus dumbledore remembered by alphias doge i met albus dumbledore at the age of 11 on our first day at hogwarts our mutual attraction was undoubtedly due to the fact that we both felt ourselves to be outliers. Outliers. Hello. That's the that's the combination of the word outliers, which is not in the book, and outsiders, which is. I had contracted dragonpox shortly before arriving at school and while I was no longer contagious, my pockmarked marked visage and greenish hue did not encourage many to approach me. For his part, Albus had arrived at Hogwarts under the burden of an unwanted notoriety. Scarcely a year previously, his father, Percival, had been convicted of a savage and well-publicized attack on three young muggles. Albus never attempted to deny that his father, who was to die in Azkaban, had committed the crime. On the contrary, when I plucked up the courage to ask him, he assured me that he knew his father to be guilty. Beyond that, Dumbledore refused to speak of the sad business, though many attempted to make him do so. Some, indeed, were disposed to praise his father's action and assumed that Albus, too, was a Muggle hater. They could not have been more mistaken. As anybody who knew Albus would attest, he never revealed the remotest anti-Muggle tendency. Indeed, Indeed, his determined support for Muggle rights gained him many enemies in subsequent years. In a matter of months, however, Albus's own fame had begun to eclipse that of his father. By the end of his first year, he would never again be known as the son of a muggle-hater, but as nothing more or less than the most brilliant student ever seen at the school. Those of us who were privileged to be his friends benefited from his example, not to mention his help and encouragement, with which he was always generous. He confessed to me later in life that he knew even then that his greatest pleasure lay in teaching. He not only won every prize of note that the school offered, he was soon in regular correspondence with the most notable magical names of the day, including Nicholas Flamel, the celebrated alchemist, Matilda Bagshot, the noted historian, and Aldbert Waffling, the magical theoretician. Several of his papers found their way to learned publications such as Transfiguration Today, Challenges in Charming, and The Practical Potioner. Dumbledore's future career seemed likely to be meteoric, And the only question that remained was when he would become Minister for Magic. Although it was often predicted in later years that he was on the point of taking the job, he never had ministerial ambitions. Three years after we had started at Hogwarts, Albus's brother, Aberforth, arrived at school. They were not alike. Aberforth was never bookish and, unlike Albus, preferred to settle arguments by dueling rather than through reasoned argument. However, it is quite wrong to suggest, as some have, that the brothers were not friends. They rubbed along as comfortably as two such different boys could do. In fairness to Aberforth, it must be admitted that living in Albus's shadow cannot have been an altogether comfortable experience. Being continually outshone was an occupational hazard of being his friend, and it could not have been any more pleasurable as a brother. When Albus and I left Hogwarts, we intended to take the traditional tour of the world together, visiting and observing foreign wizards before pursuing our separate careers. However, tragedy intervened. On the very eve of our trip, Albus's mother Kendra died, leaving Albus the head and sole breadwinner of the family. I postponed my departure long enough to pay my respects at Kendra's funeral, then left for what was now to be a solitary journey. With a younger brother and sister to care for, and little gold left to them, there could no longer be any question of Albus accompanying me. That was the period of our lives when we had least contact. I wrote Albus, describing, perhaps insensitively, the wonders of my journey, from narrow escapes from chimeras in Greece to the experiments of Egyptian alchemists. His letters told me little of his day-to-day life which I guessed to be frustratingly dull for such a brilliant wizard. Immersed in my own experiences, it was with horror that I learned, toward the end of my year's travels, that yet another tragedy had had struck the Dumbledores. The death of his sister, Ariana. Though Ariana had been in poor health for a long time, the blow coming so soon after the loss of their mother had a profound effect on both of her brothers. All those closest to Albus, and I count myself as one of that lucky number, agree that Ariana's death, and Albus's feeling of personal responsibility for it, though of course he was guiltless, left their mark upon him forever. I returned home to find a young man who had experienced the much older person's suffering. Albus was more reserved than before, much less light-hearted. To add to his misery, the loss of Ariana had led, not to a renewed closeness between Albus and Aberforth, but to an estrangement. In time, this would lift. In later years, they reestablished, if not a close relationship, then certainly a cordial one. However, he rarely spoke of his parents or of Ariana from then on, and his friends learned not to mention them. Other quills will describe the triumphs of the following years. Dumbledore's innumerable contributions to the state of wizarding knowledge, including his discovery of the twelve uses of dragon's blood, will benefit generations to come, as will the wisdom he displayed in the many judgments that he made while chief warlock of the wizengamot. They say, still, that no wizarding duel ever matched that between Dumbledore and Grindelwald in 1945. Those who witnessed it have written of the terror and the awe that they felt as they watched these two extraordinary wizards do battle. Dumbledore's triumph and its consequences for the wizarding world are considered a turning point in magical history, to match the introduction of the international statute of secrecy or the downfall of he-who-must-not-be-named. Albus Dumbledore was never proud or vain. He could find something to value in anyone, however apparently insignificant or wretched, and I believe that his early losses endowed him with such great humanity and sympathy. I shall miss his friendship more than I can say, but my loss is as nothing compared to the Wizarding Worlds. Sorry, gang. The things that some folks choose to be proud of I don't understand. (laughs) That Albus Dumbledore was the most inspiring and the best-loved of all Hogwarts Headmasters cannot be in question. He died as he lived, working always for the greater good and, to his last hour, as willing to stretch out a hand to a small boy with dragon pox as he was on the first day that I met him. Harry finished reading, but continued to gaze at the picture accompanying the obituary. Dumbledore was wearing his familiar yet kindly smile, but as he peered over the top of his half-moon spectacles, he gave the impression, even in newsprint, of betraying Harry whose sadness mingled with a sense of humiliation. He had thought he knew Dumbledore quite well, but ever since reading his obituary he had been forced to recognize that he had barely known him at all. Never once had he imagined Dumbledore's childhood or youth. It was as though he had sprung into being as Harry had known him, venerable and silver-haired and old. The idea of a teenage Dumbledore was simply odd, like trying to imagine a stupid Hermione, or a friendly, blast headed scroot. He had never thought to ask Dumbledore about his past. No doubt it would have felt strange, impertinent even, but after all, it had been common knowledge that Dumbledore had taken part in that legendary duel with Grindelwald, and Harry had not thought to ask Dumbledore what it had been like nor about any other of his famous achievements. No, they had always discussed Harry. Harry's past, Harry's future, Harry's plans, and it seemed to Harry now, despite the fact that his future was so dangerous and uncertain, that he had missed irreplaceable opportunities when he had failed to ask Dumbledore more about himself. Even though the only personal question he had ever asked the headmaster was also the only one he suspected Dumbledore had not answered honestly.
1: What do you see when you look in the mirror? I? I see myself holding a pair of thick, woolen socks.
0: After several minutes' thought, Harry tore the obituary out of the prophet, folded it carefully, and tucked it inside the first volume of practical defensive magic and its use against the dark arts. Then he threw the rest of the newspaper into the rubbish pile and turned to face the room. It was much tidier. Harry moved across the room, slid the mirror fragment off of today's prophet, and unfolded the newspaper. He had merely glanced at the headline when he had taken the rolled-up paper from the delivery owl early that morning and thrown it aside, after it had said nothing about Voldemort. Harry was sure that the Ministry was leaning on the Daily Prophet to suppress news about Voldemort. It was only now, therefore, that he saw what he had missed. Across the bottom half of the front page, a smaller headline was set over a picture of Dumbledore striding along, looking harried. Dumbledore. The truth at last? Coming next week, the shocking story of the flawed genius considered by many to be the greatest wizard of his generation. Stripping away the popular image of serene, silver-bearded wisdom, Rita Skeeter reveals the disturbed childhood, the lawless youth, the lifelong feuds, and the guilty secrets that Dumbledore carried to his grave. Why was the man tipped to be Minister of Magic, content to remain a mere headmaster? What is the real purpose of the secret organization known as the Order of the Phoenix? How did Dumbledore really meet his end? The answers to these and many more questions are explored in the explosive new biography The Life and Lies of Albus Dumbledore by Rita Skeeter. Exclusively interviewed by Betty Braithwaite. Page 13, inside. Harry ripped open the paper and found page 13. The article was topped with a picture showing another familiar face. A woman wearing jeweled glasses with elaborately curled blonde hair. Her teeth bared in what was clearly supposed to be a winning smile, wiggling her fingers up at him. Doing his best to ignore this nauseating image, Harry read on, In person, Rita Skeeter is much warmer and softer than her... Famously ferocious quill portraits might suggest. Greeting me in the kitchen of her hallway home, she leads me straight on for a cup of tea, a slice of pound cake, and it goes without saying, a steaming vat of freshest gossip. Uh, and at this point, because this is going to be a long news article, and it doesn't, this is not the voice of, uh, well, maybe this is the voice of Betty Braithwaite, Betty Braithwaite, but um, it will get confused. So I'm just going to read it. Keep in mind, this is a news article. Well, of course, Dumbledore is a biographer's dream, says Skeeter. Such a long, full life, I'm sure my book will be the first of very, very many. Skeeter was certainly quick off the mark. Her 900-page book was completed a mere four weeks after Dumbledore's mysterious death in June. I asked her how she managed this super-fast feat. Oh, and you've been a journalist as long as I have. Working to a deadline is second nature. I knew the Wizarding World was clamoring for the full story, and I wanted to be the first to make that need met. Make that need met is uh, just, you know, Sidecar Sam's slick way of trying to
1: <laughs> trying to
0: wrangle back a sentence that got away from me. We're going to continue. The book reader is just me in disguise. It's right, That's right, folks. My real name is indeed Betty Braithwaite. Um, don't dox me like this ever again. <laughs> I mentioned the recent widely publicized remarks of Alphias Doge, special advisor to the Gamut and long-standing friend of Albus Dumbledore's, that Skeeter's book contains less fact than a chocolate frog card. Skeeter throws back her head and laughs. Darling, Doge, yeah, I remember interviewing him a few years back about merpeople, bless him. Completely gaga, seemed to think that we were sitting at the bottom of a lake in Winmere. kept telling me to watch out for trout. Yet Elphias Doge's accusations of inaccuracy have been echoed in many places. Does Rita Skeeter really feel that four short weeks have been enough to gain a full picture of Dumbledore's long and extraordinary life? Oh, my dear, ah, beams Skeeter, wrapping me affectionately across the knuckles. You know as well as I do how much information could be generated by a fat bag of galleons and a refusal to hear the word no. And a nice sharp quick quotes quill. People were queuing in to dish the dirt on Dumbledore anyway. Not everyone thought that he was so wonderful, you know. He trod on an awful lot of important toes, but old dodgy doge can get off his high hippogriff because I have had access to a source most journalists would swap their wands for one who has never spoken in public before, and who was close to Dumbledore during the most turbulent and disturbing phase of his career. The advanced publicity of Skeeter's biography has certainly suggested that there will be shock in store for those who believe Dumbledore to have led a blameless life. What were the biggest surprises she uncovered, I ask? (laughs) Come off it, Betty, I'm not giving away my highlights before anybody's bought the book, laughs Skeeter. Uh, But I can't promise anyone who still thinks Dumbledore was as white as his beard is in for a rude awakening. Let's just say that nobody hearing him rage against you-know-who would have dreamed that he dabbled in the dark arts himself
1: in his youth.
0: And for a wizard who spent his later years pleading for tolerance, he wasn't exactly
2: broad-minded when he was younger.
0: Yes, Albus Dumbledore had an extremely murky past, not to mention that very fishy family which he worked so hard to keep hushed up. I ask whether Skeeter is referring to Dumbledore's brother, Aberforth, whose conviction by the wizengamot of misuse of magic caused a minor scandal 15 years ago. Oh, Aberforth is just the tip of the dung heap, laughs Skeeter. No, 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 no. I'm talking about much worse than a brother with a fondness for fiddling about with goats. Worse even than the muggle-maiming father, Dumbledore, couldn't keep either of them quiet anyway. They were both charged by the wizengamot. No, it's the mother and a sister that intrigued me and a little digging uncovered a positive nest of nastiness but as i say you'll have to wait for chapters 9 to 12 for full details all i can say now is it's no wonder dumbledore never talked about how his nose got broken family skeletons notwithstanding does skeeter deny the brilliance that led dumbledore's many magical discoveries he had brains "'She concedes, although many now question "'whether he could really take full credit "'for all of his supposed achievements. "'As I reveal in Chapter 16, "'Evor Dillinsby claims he had already discovered eight uses of dragon's blood "'when Dumbledore borrowed his papers. "'But the importance of some of Dumbledore's achievements "'cannot, I venture, be denied. "'What of his famous defeat of Grindelwald?' "'Ah, now I am glad you mentioned Grindelwald,' "'says Skeeter with a tantalizing smile.' I'm afraid those who go dewy-eyed over Dumbledore's spectacular victory must brace themselves for a bit of a bombshell. Or perhaps a dung bomb. Very dirty business indeed. All I'll say is, don't be so sure. He was really the spectacular duel of legend. After they've read my book, people may be forced to concede that Grimblewald simply conjured a white handkerchief from the end of his wand and came quietly. Skeeter refuses to give any more away on this intriguing subject, so we turn instead to the relationship that will undoubtedly fascinate her readers more than any other. Ah, yes, says Skeeter, nodding briskly. I devote an entire chapter to the whole Potter-Dumbledore relationship. It's been called Unhealthy, Even Sinister. Again, your readers will have to buy my book for the whole story, but there is no question that Dumbledore took an unnatural interest in Potter from the word go. Whether that was really in the boy's best interest, eh, we'll see. It's certainly been an open secret that Potter has had a most troubled adolescence. I ask whether Skeeter is still in touch with Harry Potter, whom she so famously interviewed last year. A breakthrough piece in which Potter spoke exclusively of his convictions that you-know-who had returned. Oh, boy. Oh, yes, we've developed a close bond, said Skeeter poor Potter has few real friends, and we met at one of the most testing moments of his life, the Triwizard Tournament. I'm probably one of the only people alive who can say that they know the real Harry Potter. Which leads us neatly to the many rumors still circulating about Dumbledore's final hours. Does Skeeter believe that Potter was there when Dumbledore died? Well, I don't want to say too much, it's all in the book, but the eyewitnesses inside Hogwarts Castle say Potter was running away from the scene moments after Dumbledore fell, jumped, or was pushed. Potter gave evidence later against Severus Snape, a man against whom he had a notorious grudge. Is everything as it seems? Is it for the wizarding community to decide once they've read my book? On that intriguing note, I take my leave. There can be no doubt that Skeeter has quilled an instant bestseller. Dumbledore's legions of admirers, meanwhile, may be trembling at what is soon to emerge about their hero. And this marks the end of that news article. Harry reached the bottom of the article, but continued to stare blankly at the page. Revulsion and fury rose in him like vomit. He balled up the newspaper and threw it with all his force at the wall, where it joined the rest of the rubbish heap around his overflowing bin. He began to stride blindly around the room, opening empty drawers and picking up books only to replace them in the same piles, barely conscious of what he was doing. As random phrases from Rita's article echoed in his head, an entire chapter to the whole Potter-Dumbledore relationship. It's been called unhealthy, even sinister. He dabbled in the dark arts himself in his use. I've had access to a source most journalists would swap their wands for. Lies, Harry bellowed. And through the window, he saw the next door neighbor, who had paused to restart his lawnmower, look up nervously. Harry sat down hard on the bed. The broken bit of mirror danced away from him. He picked it up and turned it over in his fingers, thinking, thinking of Dumbledore, and the lies with which Rita Skeeter was defaming him. A flash of the brightest blue. Harry froze, his cut fingers slipping on the jagged edge of the mirror again. He had imagined it. He must have done. He glanced over his shoulder, but the wall was a sickly peach color of Aunt Petunia's choosing. There was nothing blue there for the mirror to reflect. He peered into the mirror fragment again and saw nothing but his own bright green eye looking back at him. He had imagined it. There was no other explanation. Imagined it because he had been thinking of his dead headmaster. If anything was certain, it was that the bright blue eyes of Albus Dumbledore would never pierce him again. There's the end of chapter two, gang. Let's go back to the library. I'm going to take another five-minute break, but I'm going to talk to y'all for a bit first. We've got a lot to to cover here, don't we? (laughs) Okay. Uh, First of all, (laughs) Barry Bethy says, What happened to your eyes? Oh, Rita Skeeter's shoulder pads poked them out. (laughs) Very good. Uh, Ah, what a glorious morning. Makes me sick. Indeed, Um, that is actually uh, a favorite movie of uh, Mama Cass. If it's the one, I think it is, right? Uh, That's Hocus Pocus, isn't it? Yeah, she hannigans. Hocus Pocus. Okay, good. Oh, man. I was going to be all goofed up if I didn't get that one. Um, (laughs) Luke says, question. Should we actually feel like Dumbledore is a good dude or even that he's good to Harry? Um... And uh, you know, of course, we're as as we've seen here, we're going to learn more about Dumbledore, even though he is not with us anymore. But um, I think let's let's of course keep it to what we understand about Dumbledore right now. Let's let's stay out of spoiler territory. Um, and uh, yeah, what do we think about Dumbledore thus far? Sam, um, <laughs> Sammy's the Muggle liaison. Liaison. <laughs> Creepy watchers. <laughs> no, I don't mind lurkers. I'm okay with it. If you're here and you're not chatting, hello, good to have you here. I hope you're having a good one. Um, a, muck, a muck, a muck, Let's see. Ashmore says Dumbledore is a human. He makes mistakes. And I think that is a good point. Tenacia uh, says, I feel Dumbledore is good. He just withheld a lot of information from Harry. Um, I think I think this, this idea of mistakes is important. Now, I am not... Uh, I, I've talked a bit in the past how I think that... Um, the titles of good and evil for people is um, reductive to the point where it's counterproductive. Um, I think sort of labeling an entire person good uh, makes us more willing to accept the things that they have, the accept any evil they might perpetrate. And I think the the uh, the the uh, ascribing the title of evil to somebody makes us both unable to see any good in them, and also um, has the the the. Additional effect that it's harder to figure out where they came from or why certain things come up, because I don't think evil all comes from one spot. I think it sort of comes from selfishness, and that just takes too many forms to to really understand if we just blanket it all underneath evil. Um, Jezzy is wondering what Hogwarts house I'm in, and uh, after getting a couple of different tests done and getting a couple of different answers, I think I can pretty calmly, calmly, pretty confidently call myself um, a Ravenclaw. I feel pretty, pretty good calling myself a Ravenclaw. Um, in my head, I think it matters. I think I would have requested it like Harry, um, back in that in that period of my life. And uh, yeah, I think I've talked a little bit before as well about how I've got this theory that the the Sorting Hat is not just like, not just there to sort you into archetypes, but to build four sort of individual groups, um, uh, who will benefit from a lot of different uh, from a lot of variation. Much in the same way that, you know, Hermione probably, if it were just going based by archetype, Hermione probably would have been a a Ravenclaw. You know what I mean? Got a Slytherin. (laughs) Jatsi says, knew it, bookish reporter. Jess says, I think Dumbledore wanted to shelter Harry a bit. Um, yeah, we talked about the prophecy from the last book um, uh, Jess continues uh, Also, Dumbledore is an adult and Harry is a child. Most adults don't tell children everything. Yeah, and I think uh, sorry I got a little sidetracked, but I think the idea of Dumbledore being human and making mistakes. I think um, uh, Much in the same way that it is reductive to the point of being counterproductive uh, to call someone good I think it's the same thing to call someone perfect. Pope po- but he's nerfect. Er- um but uh yeah I think I think looking at Dumbledore as as perfect is what gets a lot of folks in trouble and uh I think Harry is kind of feeling that right now um there's this idea that you know heroes that, like people say like don't meet your heroes or what have you and I think Harry is after Dumbledore's death just kind of starting to meet his hero up until then you know Dumbledore has been um, a source of advice a source of guidance and direction um and uh, and some knowledge but harry as he's expressing here didn't really know dumbledore did he right yeah lone star says that uh that sort of uh, the amount of information that moves uh between people has been a running theme throughout the book and i think you're right Uh, Lone Star continues, uh, there's a a love of complexity, excuse me, there's a level of complexity to people. And we have layers of good and layers of bad that make us who we are. Yeah, I don't know. I don't have a strong sense of how I would sort of structure it. Um, I think layers is a a very interesting take, um, you know, considering a sort of a a theory of what makes folks good and evil and and whether that's the aggregate or the compositor or or the net value of somebody. Uh, But yeah, I think think, uh, layers would be a good place to start at least in trying to explore what a good way to communicate that is luke says i'm with all of you guys on this or i'm with you guys on all this uh i just don't think alfayas doge took in both sides of dumbledore i actually think rita skeeter did a better job of that interesting interesting um we can definitely get the sense from this that alfayas doge was a big dumbledore fan right and uh oh shoot there was something i wanted to talk about that i I, was from earlier in this chapter um, something I would love to discuss, because I think we, we've we talked a little bit about um, uh, this stuff in the Frankenstein streams. The the vintage sidecar streams have had a lot of this sort of discussion of tone and theme and how it shifts and, uh, and style. Um, and I want to say it was a style thing, but unfortunately I don't remember what it was. Hey, where is it? What is this thing? Um, I will say, uh, I think it was just a matter of framing. Um, how we return to how we return to things and how they are made new. I want to bring your attention to um, Harry being back at home and going through this chest of all these things from his years at Hogwarts. It's a great way to frame this idea that um, Harry is, Harry has had this major event in his life, right? He became a wizard, or he, he found out that he was a wizard, and he goes to Hogwarts, and his life is forever changed, and now it seems to be changing again. And as he goes through this chest, we see the Support Cedric Diggory badge, and a cracked sneakoscope and a gold locket. Um, we see all of these artifacts from his time at Hogwarts. Um, and we can see that as he sets them aside, we see uh, a very sort of uh, a stark representation of the fact that he is making a decision to separate himself from that grand experience, that that grand change that his life ex- that that came into his life at 11 years old. Mama Porkchop says, "I like the switch," and I think I do too. I remembered, by the way, what it was. It was uh, in, in uh, it was actually in the first chapter. One more thing I want to talk about before I take my five-minute break here. Um, I've talked about this a lot before, uh, how people's reactions in the world are the best way to understand how we should understand something, right? When we're dealing with a fictional world like this, especially, it's important um, because when Voldemort asks Lucius Malfoy for his wand, okay... We can see how Lucius responds to it, but when everyone in the room responds as though Voldemort just asked Lucius Malfoy for his arm, that is the best possible way that we could understand, as readers, how we are to understand this event. Right? When we, when we, when we see this, how significant is it that that they would trade wands out? We don't. We don't. You know. We were worse' six books and we're six books and two chapters deep in this we know by now but uh, for somebody coming into this for the first time um, who knows exactly how severe that is do people trade wands all the time and it looks like the answer is definitely not so just an interesting style point that I picked up while I was reading Uh, folks and uh, yeah Jess we do get to hear more about wands in this book which is super excited so keep an eye out for those things Um, (laughs) Sam the wizard showing himself Hey, this is the stuff. This is the stuff right here. This is why I'm so excited about the vintage sidecar stuff, because we go through chapter by chapter, and we really dig deep into stuff. Last time we talked about how the book Frankenstein is Mary Shelley's challenge to God. <laughs> that is the sort of stuff we get into. I hope you will join me. We do that on, that one on Tuesdays, but for right now, uh, I will see you all in five minutes. It has been an absolute pleasure so far, and I very much look forward to continuing.
1: Spongebob is not <laughs>
0: No, it is not. Oh, lives in a cupboard under the stairs.
1: Harry Potter.
0: <laughs> digital Prec seems like a nice nightmare. Oh, Pre-K, gotcha. <laughs> digital, digital. Yeah, my name is... I'm Alistair Moody. I be teaching Digital Prec. <laughs> oh, man. Teach secondary, much less of an issue. Gotcha. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. Hello, everybody. Uh, So, now that we are back into it, um, let's do a a quick review of our other chapters. But first, a quick review of the the new voices we're going to be introducing here. Um, Hestia Jones is going (laughs) to be Max's wife from... uh, Magic Max's wife from... um, uh, What's it called? Prince's Bride and Daedalus Dickel is going to be Doc from Back to the Future. <laughs> Tuna, see, I knew it. I knew this was how it was going to be, Tuna. Tuna is, Tuna is just desperate for me to play Fall Guys. I see right through you, Tuna. I know exactly what's happening. Tuna's trying to wrangle me into it. Um, uh, but that's what the uh, that's what the vote is down there in the corner. This is the last time I'll mention it. But uh, that over there is the the bits vote for um, for Fall Guys. So um, <laughs> that's all I got. Says Tuna. <laughs> that's all I got. I'm empty. That's it. I'm spent. Tenacia says, uh, "I once had a teacher from Romania who told all the kindergartners she was a vampire, so they wouldn't cause chaos in her class." <laughs> Oh, man. Any of, y'all, any of the rest of y'all tried it? Oh, uh, 50 bits. Just a one-up tuna. By the way, uh, the bidding war between Jarp and Tuna, I appreciate. <laughs> you may be able to one-up tuna in bits, Jarp, but you will never one-up tuna in my heart. <laughs> um... And that is perfectly fair, Courtney. Yeah, it's just to uh, just to, a good way to gauge interest. If y'all are interested in a Fall Guys stream, because I will definitely do. I'll do. I mean, I'll do more than one if you uh, if y'all fill up that meter. Again, it's gauging interest. If you don't fill up the meter, I have absolutely no problem with it. It's just a good way to uh, gauge interest. Uh, let us proceed, shall we? Um, so we've got our voice review in. Uh, we've got a bidding war <laughs> for Fall Guys and. Uh, we have got chapter three coming up. What did we see in chapter two? Well, uh, Harry, we, we return to Harry. We got another one of those little, those little stylistic things where we are no longer with Harry to start the book out. In the books in the past, of course, we would start every book with Harry, often in this very same bedroom. Um, and kind of as a mark of the changing wizarding world around us, uh, we have another book in which we do not start with Harry. We start with the Death Eaters. We start with Voldemort. Um, Maybe something that sort of uh, speaks to the connection between the two of them. Good stylistic stuff. It it sets up a nice tone for the rest of the book where we know, we have an idea of what they're planning. We just don't know how they intend to accomplish it, who is on their side. It gives us a sense that we understand the, the threat is real. But it's quiet and secretive and insidious. Barry Bethy says Sam is so expressive even when the mic is on mute. Um, yeah, I try to be. I think it's uh, it's good for the stream here, and it's been good. Um, I, I've actually done like I've I have performed a number of times before. I have enjoyed the roles of uh, King Arthur in Spamalot in the the Spamalot musical. I have enjoyed being Clayton from Tarzan. I have enjoyed being Bill Sykes from Oliver the musical. Clayton doesn't have any songs. He is a non-singing character, but it was a lot of fun to play. Uh, And then a few other things. I've been in uh, All My Sons. I have been in, um, what is it called? Uh, Streetcar Named Desire. That one was a minor part, but a lot of fun. I grew up a lot in that one. (laughs) He's just naturally over-expressive, says Miss Frizzle. I'm naturally expressive, you punk. It was! It was! <laughs> so, Java, uh, I don't know if you're still in here, but great to have you. I appreciate it. <laughs> it would be surprising if you were still watching, but hey. Uh, I, I appreciate it all the same. <laughs> it's it's uh, very funny to me who... Uh, one of the folks who just... Uh, who who uh, followed me a little earlier on tonight. I was indeed listening to the Bean Queen. Okay. Alright, gang. So, um, Harry... Is uh, We don't start the book with Harry. I'll do a, I'll do a brief review and I'm not going to look at chat anymore because you punks keep getting me off the trail. Um, we start with uh, um, uh, Voldemort and the Death Eaters. They are at the Malfoy Mansion and they talk about how they are going to get Harry Potter. It sounds like uh, Voldemort is going to try and get him personally in transit uh, between hiding places. Sounds like uh, Snape is getting some information about where and when he will be moved, and Yaxley is getting some different information uh, from the Ministry. Snape insists that uh, the, the, the transport is happening this Saturday. So we shall see which one of them is right, and which one of them might have a real inside scoop. In our next chapter, we have got Harry. And Harry is mostly... <coughs>
1: excuse me. What are you doing in here? Talk about Sam he can't see us. I assure you that I can.
0: Thanks, Shotzi. Um, the, <laughs> the, um, uh, the newspapers that Harry is reading. He's got the Daily Prophet, a few copies of it. Um, he's looking for any information about Voldemort or Death Eaters. But he gets the sense that uh, perhaps we're seeing a little bit more that, uh, of what we saw last... Minister. Uh, Maybe Scrimgeour is asking the Daily Prophet to keep things a little bit quiet, make it seem like they're doing a good job, sort of give people confidence. Um, Perhaps uh, trying to make it look like the numbers are a little bit better than they actually are. Does anybody feel me? Um, Meanwhile, at the bottom of the page, he finds that Rita Skeeter has put together um, sort of a, a response almost to Alphias Doge. Now, Alphias Doge, uh, being a prominent magical figure in the world here, um, has essentially written a glowing obituary of the character of Albus Dumbledore. What, it, what what he was like as a person, and... In this review of Albus Dumbledore, he glows. Dumbledore is kind, and, uh, to a fault, and... Um, absolutely willing to see the best in people. Willing to see something good in everyone. Um, And then, later on that page, Rita Skeeter is hawking her new book, The Life and Lies of Albus Dumbledore, in which, uh, during this interview, um, she expresses that this book is going to lay out some of her investigative journalism about Albus Dumbledore, and how he was not quite the glowing figure that people believe him to be. She says that Elphias Doge is uh, dodgy or crazy or something, um, but not to be trusted. And uh, throws some sign some some s- that's serious and significant at the same time. Um, a lot of my words like to just decide to they they both sort of shoot the gap at the same time. They end up coming out at the same time, which is exciting. Y'all get to witness the what uh, lo- what do we call it the. the <laughs> The puttering portmanteau machine that is uh, sidecar Sam during these streams. Um, as we progress through this story, um, she throws into she throws into shadow um, Dumbledore's accomplishments, including his battle with Grindelwald, um, throws sh- some shade at uh, his magical discoveries, such as the 12 Uses for Dragon's Blood. Um, and then on the quote, I say quote now i'm not gonna be able to find the quote but uh we shall call it um uh it's the relationship between harry and dumbledore uh people have called it um i want to get the quote it's a it's a pride thing now i'm gonna i'm gonna admit it fully it's definitely a pride thing it has been called unhealthy even sinister end quote so Uh, She claims to have this inside source. Harry is terribly, terribly angered by all this and cuts himself uh, on accident twice in the same chapter uh, on this piece of broken mirror from the bottom of his trunk, the one given to him by his godfather, Sirius Black, and who suddenly, uh, in which he suddenly sees a bright blue eye. But that's impossible. Well, heck, we're a sidecar cult, says Shotzi. <laughs> cult followings do indeed uh, come up. And um, I think you, you look at Twitter on any particular day and you can see some of those cult followings sort of realizing how bad it is to get so deeply invested in someone's inherent goodness. Um, but folks, no more on Twitter. Let's proceed, shall we? I think we're in good shape. Cult of Scooter Patrol. <laughs> it's not a cult. It's not a cult. i cast i cast my spell upon you all hey if you want more of me being crazy wizards um then you can get in your average harry potter reading go ahead and check out chat plays dungeon world it's on wednesdays and it's an awful lot of fun here we go gang Chapter 3. The Dursleys Departing. The sound of the front door slamming echoed up the stair and a voice yelled, Oi! You! Sixteen years of being addressed thus left Harry in no doubt whom his uncle was calling. Nevertheless, he did not immediately respond. He was still gazing at the mirror fragment in which, for a split second, he thought he had seen... Dumbledore's eye. It was not until his uncle bellowed,
1: BOY,
0: that Harry got slowly to his feet and headed for the bedroom door, pausing to add the broken piece of mirror to the rucksack filled with things he would be taking with him. You took
2: your time,
0: roared Vernon Dursley when Harry appeared at the top of the stairs. Get down here, I want a word. Harry strolled downstairs, his hands deep in his jeans' pockets. When he reached the living room, he found all three Dursleys. They were dressed for traveling, Uncle Vernon in a fawn zip-up jacket, Aunt Petunia in a neat salmon-colored coat, and Dudley, Harry's large, blond, muscular cousin, in his leather jacket.
1: "'Yes?'
0: asked Harry. "'Sit down,' said Uncle Vernon. Harry raised his eyebrows. "'Please,' said Uncle Vernon, wincing slightly, as though the word were sharp in his throat. Harry sat. He knew what was coming. His uncle began to pace up and down, Aunt Petunia and Dudley following his movements with anxious expressions. Finally, his large purple face crumpled with concentration, Uncle Vernon stopped in front of Harry and spoke. "'I've changed my mind!' he said what a surprise said harry
1: don't you talk in that tone
0: began aunt petunia in a shrill voice but Vernon dursley waved her down it's all a lot of claptrap said uncle vernon glaring at harry with piggy little eyes
2: i decided i don't believe a word of it we're staying put we are not going anywhere
0: harry looked up at his uncle and felt a mixture of exasperation and amusement Vernon Dursley had been changing his mind every 24 hours for the past four weeks, packing and unpacking and repacking the car with every change of heart. Harry's favorite moment had been when Uncle Vernon, unaware that Dudley had added his dumbbells to the case since the last time it had been unpacked, had attempted to hoist it back into the boot and collapsed with roars of pain and much swearing. According to you, Vernon Dursley said now, resuming his pacing up and down the living room, we... Petunia Dudley
2: and I are in danger from, uh, from, from, from
0: some of my lot, right, said Harry. Well, I don't believe it, repeated uncle Vernon, coming to a halt in front of Harry again. I was
2: awake half the night thinking it over, and I believe it's a plot to get the house. The house? repeated Harry. What, what
0: house? This house? shrieked Uncle Vernon, the vein in his forehead starting
2: to pulse. "'Our house! House prices have skyrocketed around here! You want us to get out of the way, and then you're going to do a bit of hocus-pocus, and before we know it, the deed is in your name! Are you out of your mind?'
0: demanded Harry. "'A
2: plot to get the house! Are you actually as stupid
0: as you
1: look?' "'Don't you dare!'
0: squealed Aunt Petunia again, but again— Vernon waved her down. Slights on his personal appearance were, it seemed, as nothing to the danger he spotted. "'In case you had forgotten,' said Harry, "'I've already got a house. My godfather left me one. "'So why would I want this one? All the happy memories?' There was silence. Harry thought he had rather impressed his uncle with this argument. "'You claim?' said uncle vernon starting to pace again this lord thing voldemort said harry impatiently and we've been through this about a hundred times already it's not a claim it's fact dumbledore told you last year and kingsley and mr weasley vernon dursley hunched his shoulders angrily and harry guessed that his uncle was attempting to ward off recollections of the unannounced visit a few days into harry's summer holidays of two fully grown wizards The arrival on the doorstep of Kingsley Shacklebolt and Arthur Weasley had come as a most unpleasant shock to the Dursleys. Harry had to admit, however, that as Mr. Weasley had once demolished half of the living room, his reappearance could not have been expected to delight Uncle Vernon. Kingsley and Mr. Weasley explained it all as well. Harry pressed on remorselessly. Once I'm seventeen, the protective charm that keeps me safe will break, and that exposes you as well as me. The Order is sure that Voldemort will target you, whether to torture you, to try and find out where I am, or because he thinks that by holding you hostage, I would try to come and rescue you. Uncle Vernon and Harry's eyes met. Harry was sure that in that instant, they were both wondering the same thing. Hmm. Then Uncle Vernon walked on, and Harry resumed. You've got to go into hiding, and the Order wants to help. You're being offered serious protection, the best that there is. Uncle Vernon said nothing, but continued to pace up and down. Outside, the sun hung low over the privet hedges. The next-door neighbor's lawnmower stalled again.
2: "'I I thought that there was a Ministry of Magic,'
0: asked Uncle Vernon abruptly. "'There is,' said Harry, surprised. "'Well, then, why can't they protect us? It seems
2: that as innocent victims—' "'Guilty of nothing more than harbouring a marked man. "'We ought to qualify for government protection.'
0: "'Harry laughed. He couldn't help himself. "'It was so typical of his uncle to put his hopes in the establishment, "'even within this world, that he despised and mistrusted. "'You heard what Mr. Weasley and Kingsley said,' Harry replied. "'We think that the Ministry has been infiltrated.' Uncle Vernon strode to the fireplace and back, breathing so heavily that his great black moustache tippled, his face still purple with concentration.
2: All right,
0: he said, stopping in front of Harry yet
2: again. All right, let's say, for the sake of argument, that we accept this protection. I still don't see why we can't have that uh, Kingsley bloke.
0: Harry managed not to roll his eyes, but with difficulty. This question had also been addressed a half-dozen times. "'As I have told you,' he said through gritted teeth, "'Kingsley is protecting the Mug... I mean, your minister. Your prime minister.'
2: "'Exactly!
0: He's the best!' said Uncle Vernon, pointing at the blank television screen. The Dursleys had spotted Kingsley on the news walking along discreetly behind the Muggle prime minister as he visited a hospital. "'This?' and the fact that Kingsley had mastered the knack of dressing like a muggle, not to mention a certain reassuring something in his slow, deep voice, had caused the Dursleys to take Kingsley in a way that they had certainly not done with any other wizard, although it was true that they had never seen him with his earring in. "'Well, he's taken,' said Harry. "'But Hestia Jones and Daedalus Diggle are
2: more than up to the job.' If we'd even seen CVs,
0: began Uncle Vernon, but Harry lost patience. Getting to his feet, he advanced on his uncle, now pointing at the TV himself. These accidents aren't accidents. The crashes and explosions and derailments, whatever else is happening since we last watched the news. People are disappearing and dying, and he is behind it. Voldemort, I've told you this over and over again, he kills muggles for fun. Even the fogs, they're caused by Dementors. If you can't remember what they are, ask your son. Dudley's hands jerked upward to cover his mouth. With his parents' and Harry's eyes upon him, he slowly lowered them again and asked,
2: There are.
1: there are more of them. More? laughed Harry. More than the two that attacked us, you mean? Of course there are. There are hundreds.
0: Maybe thousands by this time, seeing as they feed on fear and despair. All right, all right uh, blustered Vernon Dursley you, you've, you've made your point I hope so, said Harry because once I'm 17 all of them, Death Eaters Dementors, maybe even in theory, which means dead bodies enchanted by a dark wizard will be able to find you and will certainly attack you and if you remember the last time you tried to outrun wizards I think you'll agree that you'll need the help There was a brief silence in which the distant echo of Hagrid smashing down a wooden front door seemed to reverberate through the intervening years. Aunt Petunia was looking at Uncle Vernon. Dudley was staring at Harry. Finally, Uncle Vernon blurted out,
2: "'But what about my work? What about Dudley's school? I don't suppose those things matter to a bunch of layabout wizards? Don't you understand?' shouted Harry. They will torture and kill you like they did my
1: parents!
0: Dud, said Dudley in a loud voice. Dud- I'm going with these older people. Dudley, said Harry.
2: Oh, for the first time in your life, you're talking sense.
0: He knew the battle was won. If Dudley was frightened enough to accept the Order's help, his parents would accompany him. "'There could be no question of being separated from their duddykins.' "'Harry glanced at the carriage clock on the mantelpiece. "'They'll be here in about five minutes,' he said, "'and when none of the Dursleys replied, he left the room. "'The prospect of parting, probably forever, from his aunt, uncle, and cousin, "'was one that he was able to contemplate quite cheerfully. "'But there was nevertheless a certain awkwardness in the air, what did you say to one another at the end of 16 years' solid dislike? Back in his bedroom, Harry fiddled aimlessly with his rucksack, then pointed a couple of uh, bronze nuts through the... Uh, what? <laughs> then poked a couple of brown nuts through the bars of Hedwig's cage. They fell with dull thuds to the bottom where she ignored them. We're leaving. Soon, really soon, Harry told her.
1: And then you'll be able to fly again.
0: The doorbell rang. Harry hesitated, then headed back out of his room and downstairs. It was too much to expect Hestia and Daedalus to cope with the Dursleys on their own. Harry Potter! squeaked an excited voice the moment Harry had opened the door, and a small man in a mauve top hat and a sweeping deep bow an honor as ever thanks daedalus said harry bestowing a small and embarrassed smile upon the dark-haired hestia it's really good of you to do this they are through here my aunt and uncle and cousin oh good day to you harry potter's relatives said daedalus happily striding into the living room the dursleys did not look at all happy to be addressed thus Harry half expected another change of mind. Dudley shrank nearer to his mother at the sight of the witch and wizard. I see you're ready and packed. Excellent. The plan, as Harry has told you, is a a simple one, said Daedalus, pulling an enormous pocket watch out of his waistcoat and examining it. We shall be leaving before Harry does. Due to the danger of using magic in your house, Harry still being underage, it could provide the Ministry with an excuse to arrest him. We shall be... "'Driving, say, ten miles or so, before disapparating to a safe location we've picked out for you. "'You know how to drive, I take it?' he asked Uncle Vernon politely. got to get more of that rasp in there. That's, in, that's important. It's integral to the Doc voice. Um know how to—of course I
2: ruddy really well know how to drive,'
0: spluttered Uncle Vernon.
2: "'Very good of you, sir. Very clever. "'I personally would be utterly bamboozled by all those
0: buttons and knobs.' said Daedalus. He was clearly under the impression he was flattering Vernon Dursley, who was visibly losing confidence in the plan with every word Daedalus spoke. Doc Daedalus Diggle <laughs> Or Daedalus Doc Diggle. Um Can't even drive, he muttered under his breath, his mustache rippling indignantly, but unfortunately neither Oh excuse me. But fortunately, neither Daedalus nor Hestia seemed to hear him. You Harry daedalus continued wait here for your guard there has been a little change in the arrangement what do you mean said harry at once i thought mad was going to come and take me along by side on apparition he
1: can't do it
0: <laughs> <laughs> said hestia tersely
1: mad will explain <laughs>
0: Not quite as good as my Daedalus doc, Diggle, but that's all right. <laughs> it's been a minute since I've seen Princess Bride. Give me this one. Please, I need a, I need a mulligan. The Dursleys, who had listened to all of this, with looks of utter incomprehension on their faces, jumped as a loud voice screeched,
1: Harry, yeah!
0: Harry looked all around the room before realizing that the voice had issued from Daedalus' pocket watch. Oh, quite right. We're operating on a very tight schedule said Daedalus, nodding at his watch and tucking it into his waistcoat. We are attempting to time your departure from the house with your family's disappearance, Harry. Thus, the charm breaks at the moment you all head for safety. He turned to the Dursleys. Oh! Are we all packed and ready to go? None of them answered him. Uncle Vernon was staring, appalled at the bulge in Daedalus's waistcoat pocket. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> she will have ruined me with this
1: one. Uh, perhaps we should wait outside in the hall, Daedalus,
0: murmured Hestia. She clearly felt that it would be tactless for them to remain in the room while Harry and the Dursleys exchanged loving, possibly tearful farewells. There's no need, Harry muttered, but Uncle Vernon made any further explanation unnecessary by saying loudly, Well, this is goodbye then, boy. He swung his right arm upward to shake Harry's hand, but at the last second seemed unable to face it, and merely closed his fist and began swinging it backward and forward like a metronome.
1: "'Ready, diddy?'
0: asked Aunt Petunia, fussily checking the clasp on her handbag so as to avoid looking at Harry altogether. Dudley did not answer, but stood there with his mouth slightly ajar, reminding Harry a little of the giant, Grop. (laughs)
2: Come along, then,
0: said Uncle Vernon. He had already reached the living room door when Dudley mumbled,
2: I don't understand.
1: What don't you understand,
2: Popkin?
0: asked Opportunia, looking up at her son. Dudley raised a large, ham-like hand to point at Harry. Why isn't he coming with us? Uncle Vernon and Aunt Petunia froze where they stood, staring at Dudley as though he had just expressed a desire to become a ballerina. What? said Uncle Vernon loudly. Why is it he coming too? asked Dudley. Uh, Well, he, he doesn't want to, said Uncle Vernon, turning to glare at Harry and asking, You don't want to, do you?
2: Not in the slightest, said Harry. There you are.
0: Uncle Vernon told Dudley.
2: Now, come on, we're off.
0: He marched out of the room. They heard the door open, but Dudley did not move, and after a few faltering steps, Aunt Petunia stopped too. i now, barked Uncle Vernon, reappearing in the doorway. It seemed that Dudley was struggling with concepts too difficult to put into words. After several moments of apparently painful internal struggle, he said...
2: Well,
0: where is he going to go? Aunt Petunia and Uncle Vernon looked at each other. It was clear that Dudley was frightening them. Hestia Jones broke the silence.
1: But surely you know where your nephew is going,
0: she asked, looking bewildered. Certainly we know, said Uncle Vernon.
2: He's off with some of your lot, isn't he, right— Dudley, let's get in the car. You heard the man. We are in a hurry.
0: Again, Vernon Dursley marched as far as the front door, but Dudley did not follow.
1: Off with some of our lot!
0: Hestia looked outraged. Harry had met this attitude before. Witches and wizards seemed stunned that his closest relatives took so little interest in the famous Harry Potter.
1: It's fine.
0: Harry assured her. It
1: doesn't matter, honestly. It doesn't matter,
0: repeated Hestia, her voice uh, rising ominously.
1: Don't these people realize what you've been through?
2: What dangers you're in? The unique position you hold in the heart of anti-Voldemort movement?
0: I I have lost the reins on this one entirely. Good luck, gang. Um... No, they don't. They think I'm a waste of space, actually, but I'm used to... I don't think you're a waste of space. If Harry had not seen Dudley's lips move, he might not have believed it. As it was, he stared at Dudley for several seconds before accepting that it must have been his cousin who had spoken, for one thing. Dudley had turned red. Harry was embarrassed and astonished himself.
2: Well... "'Ah, thanks, Dudley.'
0: "'Again, Dudley appeared to grapple with thoughts too unwieldy for expression before mumbling.
2: "'You
0: saved my life.' "'Not really,' Harry said. "'It was your soul that the Dementor would have taken.' "'He looked curiously at his cousin.' They had had virtually no contact during this summer or last, as Harry had come back to Privet Drive so briefly and kept to his room so much. It now dawned on Harry, however, that the cup of cold tea on which he had trodden that morning might not have been a booby-trap at all. Although rather touched, he was nevertheless quite relieved that Dudley appeared to have exhausted his ability to express his feelings. After opening his mouth once or twice, Dudley subsided into scarlet-faced silence. Aunt Petunia burst into tears. Hestia Jones gave her an approving look that changed to outrage as Aunt Petunia ran forward and embraced Dudley rather than Harry.
1: So sweet, (laughs) Dudas!
0: She sobbed into his massive chest.
1: Such a lovely boy, saying thank you. He hasn't said thank you at all,
0: said Hestia indignantly.
1: He only said he didn't think Harry was a waste of space.
0: I'm so sorry. Yeah, but coming from Dudley, that's like... I I love you, said Harry, torn between a desire to laugh as Aunt Petunia continued to clutch at Dudley as though he had just saved Harry from a burning building.
1: Are we going
0: or not? roared Uncle Vernon, reappearing yet again at the living room door. I thought we were on a tight schedule. Uh, "'Yes, yes, we are,' said Daedalus Diggle, who was going to redeem me, in spite of my terrible, terrible Max voice, uh, who had been watching this scene with an air of amusement and now seemed to pull himself together. Uh, "'We really must be off, Harry.' He tripped forward and wrung Harry's hand with both of his own. "'Good
1: luck. I hope we meet again. The hopes of the Wizarding World rest upon your shoulders.'
0: "'Oh,' said Harry. "'Right.' Thanks."
1: "'Farewell, Harry,'
0: said Hestia, also grasping his hand.
1: "'Our thoughts go to you.' "'I hope everything's okay,'
0: said Harry, with a glance toward Aunt Petunia and Dudley. "'Oh, I'm sure we'll end up the best of chums,' said Daedalus lightly, waving his hat as he left the room. Hestia followed him. Dudley gently released himself from his mother's clutches and walked toward Harry, who had to suppress an urge to threaten him with magic. Then, Dudley held out his large pink hand. "Blimey, Dudley," said Harry, over Aunt Petunia's renewed sobs. "Did the Dementors blow a different personality into you?" "More than though," muttered Dudley.
1: "See you, Harry." "Yeah," said Harry,
0: taking Dudley's hand and shaking it.
1: Maybe. Take care, Big D.
0: Dudley nearly smiled and then lumbered from the room. Harry heard his heavy footfalls on the graveled drive and then a car door slammed. Aunt Petunia, whose face had been buried in her handkerchief, looked around at the sound. She did not seem to have expected to find herself alone with Harry. Hastily stowing her wet handkerchief into her pocket, she said,
1: Well, goodbye. Goodbye
0: and marched toward the door without looking at him. Goodbye, said Harry. She stopped and looked back. For a moment, Harry had the strangest feeling that she wanted to say something to him. She gave him an odd, tremulous look and seemed to teeter on the edge of speech, but then with a little jerk of her head, she bustled out of the room after her husband and son. And that is the end of chapter three. Folks, what a good, good day. What a good day, good stream. I am feeling great right now. Crazy ride tonight, indeed. we got such whiplash between a really, really dark opening chapter um, uh, where our tone is established for this whole book that the threat is looming, it is growing in power and it is imminent. Thank you, Luis. Thank you all so very much. Uh, Unfortunately, Lisa, I have not got any more prepared. Couldn't do more if I wanted to. Um, And I am honestly, I am so hard up on time that I am going to wait on those extra uh, extra bits of poetry um, and probably do those next week. So stick with me there. Um, But this week, I'm not gonna do them, not today. I don't think I got time for it. I need to go make some food because uh, frankly, I've eaten one blueberry muffin all live long day fortunately i am going to have shall we say lone star adios have a good one yeah it was a long one gotta run louise allen have a good one yeah everyone who's heading out have a great one